0: So while we were away on vacation with my parents last month, we had a family movie night, and we watched the movie Cheaper by the Dozen, uh, the remake with Steve Martin. Um, It's a comedy about a family with 12 children, and they're doing pretty well, and enjoying their life in a smallish house, in a smallish town, until the father, Steve Martin's character, gets offered a big job in a big city, and the family moves out of their happy small-time life and into a huge house in the wealthy suburbs of Chicago. Um, And the move gives them all much more on paper, more space, more opportunities, and more stuff. But they discover that they end up with much less in practice, less family time, fewer friends, and overall much less fun. And they all conclude together at the end of the movie that the move was a really bad idea, and they go back to their small town life that they had before. Uh, and it's a really interesting movie, as well as hilarious. Um, and in particular, I think it has some fascinating and true things to say about the temptation of money. Money promises much, but delivers little. Um, and um, I once read a quotation that was attributed to Steve Martin himself, um, where he said, All I ask from life. It's for the opportunity to prove for myself that money can't make me happy. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Um, I, love, I love him for saying that. It's really funny. Um, and I love his honesty in saying those words. Well. Now at the end of a hugely successful career, I would love to sit down with Steve Martin and ask him, what do you think now? <laughs> like, How did that experiment go? Because I think his life has given him the opportunity to prove that for himself. And I'd dearly love to know what he would say. Because part of me shares his desire to prove it for myself. Uh, Don't we all experience that, at least a little bit? Uh, The better part of me knows that true joy is not going to be found in fantastic wealth or success or pleasure or in eating chocolate until I pass out. Um, But there's a little part of me that still wouldn't mind proving it for myself. Um, So fill in the blank for yourself this morning. Uh, All I ask in life is the opportunity to prove that blank can't make me happy. (laughs) What is the blank for you? Is it money or success or security or freedom? or the perfect relationship, or traveling to outer space, or superpowers. <laughs> what is it? I'm guessing that you wouldn't have trouble filling in that blank. However old or young you are, there's some sort of personal ambition lurking in there. Now, we all know what Jesus said about this. He said that true life and true joy is found in knowing him in laying down our lives for his sake and in taking up our cross to follow him, even in sharing with him in his sufferings. He says, follow me down that road and you'll end up finding joy. And that's totally the opposite of what we might think. uh, Completely counterintuitive. But many of us here right now this morning are putting those words to the test in our own lives. Um, But while we do, aren't we at least a little bit interested in the road not taken? in the road of money or success or pleasure. It never stops looking attractive, does it? Um, So what we're going to do today is to look at the testimony of a man who really had it all. Uh, He really had absolutely everything that anyone could imagine wanting, and he had more of it than anyone could ever imagine having. Um, And if we let ourselves live vicariously through him for a few minutes this morning, he's going to show us the only thing that's truly worth having. So please open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. It's page 553 of the Church Bibles, Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. Alright, so the man I was talking about who had everything was King Solomon, the son of David. Uh, This whole book of Ecclesiastes is kind of one long sermon delivered by a man who calls himself the preacher, Um, And in verse 1 of chapter 1, it identifies the preacher as the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Now, King Solomon lived a long time ago, about 1000 BC. Uh, He was Israel's third king after Saul and David. And he was the last king in Jerusalem who reigned over a whole united Israelite kingdom, all 12 tribes together. Because his son, Rehoboam, split the kingdom into two halves and it never reunited. So under Solomon, the kingdom of Israel reached its peak, reached its pinnacle, its peak in terms of geographical size. At the time, it stretched all the way to the Euphrates River. It was its peak in terms of wealth. King Solomon made silver in Jerusalem as common as stone. It was its peak in terms of diplomatic relations. It had peace treaties with Egypt and Lebanon and all the surrounding nations, and it traded with them to great profit. And it was its peak in terms of religious rituals. Solomon built a glorious temple in Jerusalem, and he established faithfulness to God's law throughout his kingdom. He was an internationally famous and as a wise and mighty king. So, what was that like? It sounds like it was a pretty awesome life, right? Awesome. Can't ask for more than that. Um, But actually, when we read Ecclesiastes, what we find is a man who's struggling to find meaning. Um, so look at chapter 1, verse 12. Solomon said, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is vanity and a striving after wind. And then he adds this pretty forlorn and despairing proverb. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. What a cheery soul. (laughs) Um, So Solomon looks out across his wildly successful kingdom at the men and women working together in peacetime under the good law of their gracious God, and his verdict is, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. We will never build the world we want to live in. There will always be sickness and pain and suffering and death, and we will never understand it, and we will never beat it. That's the depressing verdict of one of history's wisest, wealthiest, and most powerful kings. Even with the whole country putting together, all the crooked things in the world will never be made straight because the tools and the skills that we lack cannot be counted. You feel the weight of those words. So Solomon concludes in verse 14 that all is vanity. That's his favorite word in this sermon, vanity. It's the Hebrew word chevel. It's a little hard to translate into English, so the Bibles all all make different uh, uses of it. Um, So you might find meaninglessness or a mist or a vapor. It just means something that's so flimsy and insubstantial that it's hardly even there at all like a mist or a vapor, a great big nothing. Um, And he says, everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. And in his great mind, Solomon pondered the meaning of life, and he only grew more depressed. (laughs) Uh, So he he writes, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness of folly, And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. He said, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So King (laughs) Solomon's starting to sound like quite the gloomy Gus. Um, But a lot of people love this book of Ecclesiastes because it's so brutally honest. Uh, It says aloud some of the things that we all think but might be afraid to say. Uh, And if we're feeling a little bit negative about life, a bit depressed, then we can always find company in (laughs) Ecclesiastes. I return to this book quite often. Uh, This is why some people love it. Uh, It's one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Um, So let's keep going and see what happens next in chapter 2. Having decided that he can't fix the problems of the world, the real world as it is, Solomon goes on a kind of journey to find meaning for himself in other smaller things, which I guess is a kind of escapism, a sort of virtual reality. If I can't fix the real world, maybe I can create a kind of virtual world where I can be happy and content. How many people do you know who try that? Like well, um, So uh, chapter two is kind of a journey. It's a tour of the options, and it has four stops. So I've got my four stops already on the tour right here. Um, the stops are pleasure, progress, power, and beauty. Okay, so uh, first of all, Solomon explored the world of pleasure. So so that we have this uh, fine English candy bar. Uh, So look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart to know how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So Solomon tried wine. From the finest Mediterranean vineyards and delicious foods from the palace kitchens and laughter. He became a regular in the Jerusalem comedy clubs. Um, the first stop on Solomon's search for meaning was to test out the solution that so many modern people still go for on a Saturday night wine, food, entertainment, pleasure. Life is short, so live it while you can. But can it make us happy? Can it make us truly happy? Can it fill our souls? Is it good? Solomon found that it was not. He said that it was vanity, still vanity. He said, what use is it? So he kept looking, and second, he explored the world of progress. (laughs) Building, creating, ordering, and decorating, making the world better. There's progress. Um, verse 4 I made great works I built houses and planted vineyards for myself I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees so he Try creating beautiful spaces. He was an architect and a builder and a landscaper and an interior designer. He was like every show on HGTV, all put together. Um, And in all these things, he spared no expense and everything was top of the line and beautiful and Joanna Gaines, perfect. Not a paint color wrong, not a blade of grass out of place. So much progress, but it still did nothing to satisfy his soul. So third, he explored the world of wealth and power. It's power. It's real power. (laughs) Um, Verse 7 says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been born, uh, before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. Now, Here's the point. Solomon's enormous wealth enabled him to do anything he wanted. Anything he wanted, he could build cities or send out across the world for the finest foods and goods from anywhere in the world. There was no limit on his power. He had thousands of people as back and call day and night to do whatever he told them, and he had no one telling him what to do what he could and couldn't do. That's absolute power, right? Security, freedom, autonomy. That is the American dream. Uh, Not many people on earth have ever had his kind of power, and probably no one on the earth today. Maybe possibly Vladimir Putin. Um, uh, Solomon had near perfect autonomy. He could do exactly as he pleased and live in the world that he chose, answerable to no one. He basically had superpowers. But it still did not satisfy his soul. Now, in America, we need to pay attention to this one. Yes, we love money. But I think most people who love money in this country love it because it can buy them freedom. Okay? In Paris, they love money because it buys them pleasure. In England, they love money because it buys them rest. Uh, In Israel, they love money because it buys them security. In America, we love money because it buys us freedom. It's I don't want to be answerable to anybody. I don't want to be dependent on anyone else. It's freedom to live as I please. That's the real idol in this country. And money is the bus ticket that gets us there. So pay attention to Solomon's testimony here. Solomon had more freedom, more independence and power, and more control of his life than any of us can imagine. This is why I chose this remote control to demonstrate this. Uh, Netflix, uh, you can do anything you want. Um, So uh, he had more control of his life than any of us can imagine. But he ended up saying, this too is worthless. It's worthless, friends. It doesn't fill up a human soul. It still leaves you empty. You run out of ideas, and you can't think of anything truly worthwhile to do with all your freedom. So your life still doesn't have any meaning, maybe even less than it did before you were free. So Solomon had to keep looking, and finally, he made one more step on his tour. He turned to beauty. I'm going to borrow Claire's guitar. Let's go about guitar. <laughs> all right, beauty. The beauty of art, and music, and the beauty of people. Oh no, that makes me nervous. <laughs> um, so, uh, the beauty of people in art and in relationships. So, verse 8 says, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So Solomon had the finest artists in the world come and entertain him, and then he married most of the, uh, the most beautiful and desirable women in the world, like all of them. This uh, records that King Solomon had 700 wives, 700, including princesses from every nation, every nation in the region. So who on earth has ever sought fulfilment in romantic relationships more than Solomon? And who on earth could ever outdo him? And yet this man, who had more pleasure, more power, more wealth, more fame, and more beauty in his life than has ever been seen on earth before or since, says this in verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was vanity, striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Nothing to be gained under the sun. So I think that because of Solomon, we can consider the potential of this world to satisfy our souls categorically exhausted. Surely if this man, with the life that he had, could not find it, then friends, it cannot be found. So what then? That's a pretty depressing conclusion. Uh, Is everything hopeless or is there some good news? Well, you know that there's good news. We know that um, we need more than all that this world can give us. And the good news is that, of course, there is more. The conclusion that all of this leads us to, the destination of this world tour, is the conclusion that Solomon himself comes to in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes in verse 11, if you want to flip the page. He says there that God has put eternity into the heart of man. God has put eternity into man's heart. So the reason that we are dissatisfied with all the treasures of the earth is because they are finite things, (coughs) measurable and temporary, and the hunger in our hearts is an infinite hunger. Okay? Each person proves that for themselves when they go after any of these things. Uh, The animals are happy. They are satisfied. A bird is happy with a worm. As long as they aren't being persecuted by people, the animals are happy. But people are never happy. And why is that? Because we are only satisfied with an eternal God. You are built to need God. And all of this experiment only proves that for yourself. You will never be happy until you know him. And the good news, the wonderful news, is that a relationship with God is exactly what you can have through our Savior Jesus Christ. He gives us more than all that Solomon ever had, and he meets the need that nothing in the world could ever meet. So Steve Martin said, all that I ask from life is for the opportunity to prove for myself that money can't make me happy, and maybe we're tempted to say a similar thing and to point our lives in the direction of proving it for ourselves, but my plea to you all this morning is please don't. Please don't. I hope you can see why that would be a total waste of your life. You will spend your few years on this planet chasing what cannot be caught and finding what has already been found. 3,000 years ago by someone much more competent than any of us. And I can't think of a bigger waste of a human life. So children, as you first start to make choices about what your lives are going to be about, make them about finding God. Amen. Find him. Or die trying. Mm -hmm. And teenagers, as you make the decision what kind of person you're going to be, be a child of God. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. And professionals stuck in the rat race, are your sights fixed on finding God? Mm -hmm. Or have you been distracted into chasing something else? If you're realizing this morning that you're halfway through your life and you're running a race to the wrong destination, then get out of it. Stop running. Walk off the track. It's not too late to turn around. Just because you've wasted the first half of your life doesn't mean that you have to waste the rest. Jesus said that true life is... And true joy is found only in knowing Him, in laying down our lives for His sake and in taking up our cross to follow Him, even in sharing with Him in His sufferings. And the end of that road is joy. If we give up the world to know Him, we end up getting all the good things of the world back as a gift from Him. But this time, it's a gift that satisfies and delights us as it never could before. Amen. Thank